Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Verses 1 to 8, that's page 1051. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. The parable of the persistent widow. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in the town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Uh, just a quick note before I start that um, in my sermon this morning, I will make reference to some things that can be difficult for people to hear. Um, I will not describe anything in great detail or recount it, but I do just encourage you to be aware of how you're feeling. If you need to leave the room, that's fine. And if you want to stay and talk and pray with someone afterwards, I would encourage you to do that too. Early last year, uh, perhaps in the first few months of last year, it felt a little bit like women in Australia were finally having their moment. Uh, Grace Tame was our Australian of the Year. Brittany Higgins had come forward to speak publicly about her experience of sexual assault in Parliament House and the kind of response she'd received. There were allegations of rape against our Attorney General in the public. Women marched on Parliament House to demand justice and the poster, the image for that event, was the face of a woman with her mouth wide open, shouting, enough. There was a feeling perhaps that Australian women's experience of sexual harassment, assault and abuse, so pervasive but so unspoken, might finally begin to be heard and to be seen and that maybe something might change. Did anything change? Uh, 18 months later, Brittany Higgins's case is delayed in the court again. Grace Tame continues to be harassed by her convicted abuser online. Both women are treated so terribly that they have voluntarily been hospitalised to seek 
mental health support as they recognise that they uh, are not coping with what it costs to speak publicly about these things. For Father's Day this year, my husband uh, got this book from our family. Uh, it's the autobiography of Eddie Betts. He's quite a good football player. And in this book, he tells the story of uh, a time when he won goal of the year. I think he's actually won it four times, but this is the first time when he was playing for Carlton. And the prize for that uh, achievement was a brand new Toyota given uh, just for the year, not to keep forever, but as a gift <laughs> for the year, you know, until the next guy wins goal of the year. Uh, it's kind of a Toyota Orion. I don't quite know what they are, but a relatively normal mid-sized car, but nice and new. And he writes this story in this book. One day while behind the wheel, I pulled it into a pub parking lot in Rooney Ponds to eat a sandwich I'd just bought when some cops pulled in behind me. I registered them, but just put my head down to take a bite of my sandwich. Before I even had time to take that bite, both cops were standing either side of the car's front doors. The cop on the driver's side directed me to get out. He asked me where I'd got the vehicle and if it was mine. All I could think to say was that I'd won it. They kept asking me the same question and I kept saying the same thing over and over, hoping they'd start to believe me. They didn't. They checked the registration, which of course was still linked to the Toyota dealership and not to me. I told them again, I won it for goal of the year in the AFL. I play for the Carlton Football Club. Finally, one of them checked my details and after that, they got back in the car and left. I probably could have gotten more upset and indignant about that incident at the time, he says. But for any black fella sitting in a shiny, expensive new car, sadly, that scenario is all too common. Uh, for Eddie and for many um, Indigenous Australians, Australians who are victims of sexual assault or harassment, there's a calculation that happens when injustice occurs about whether you'll bother to do anything, to say anything. The likelihood of success weighed up against what it will cost you to speak out. Uh, there's a fabulous, brilliant show um, a couple of years old on Netflix called Unbelievable. I don't know if anybody here has watched it. I don't necessarily encourage everybody to watch it, but it's a really good uh, demonstration of why women don't report or don't follow through on reports of assault, of what seeking justice costs a person. The primary story follows a young girl who is assaulted but not believed and is treated as a nuisance by the police. And the episodes also track two detectives a few years later who follow a series of sexual assaults. Uh, it's a very um, powerful show, well done, I think. And actually one of the characters in the show, the detectives, has a real and genuine Christian faith that's quite sympathetically portrayed. The show is about, you know, this woman's story is unbelievable. The massive challenges that she faces to seek justice. But in the end, also, one of the most powerful moments of the show, this is a bit of a spoiler, but it won't ruin it for you. So right at the end, because you already know this is what's going to happen, when one of the detectives realises what has happened and that this young woman was the first 
in a series of assaults by uh, this one perpetrator. Uh, and she calls her up several years later to tell her that she realises now what has happened, that she knows the truth and that she's sorry for how the woman was treated at first. And it's a powerful, powerful moment in the show that shows how transformative it can be, how liberating it is and how healing it is when someone tells the truth about injustice and acknowledges the wrong. This week in the news, uh, another former coalition staffer, Rochelle Miller, was awarded $650,000 by our federal government uh, in a settlement for hurt, distress and humiliation. She alleges uh, that she suffered while working for Alan Tudge and Michaela Cash. The government awarded her $650,000 but denies all responsibility. They did nothing wrong. Even when you're in the right Justice is by no means guaranteed in this world. And in our reading for today, Jesus told a story about a woman who deserves justice and has to fight to get it. Perhaps this is one of Jesus' most enduring parables. When cash, money and coins are long gone and we don't know what they are, we'll still know what this is to fight for justice. This is a how much more parable, and by now I hope we all know how these work. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. If a corrupt judge will eventually grant justice to a random old lady that he doesn't care about, just because she keeps asking, how much more will God, the good God, bring about justice for the ones who he loves? We know how to read this kind of parable now. It's not teaching that God is unjust or that God is lazy, that God needs to be badgered. His justice is contrasted with that of the unjust judge. It is quick, it is sure, and it is from love. God does justice and he can be relied upon to act justly because God is just. And just like in our parable two weeks ago, the other character, the widow, shows us something about discipleship, what it is to live as children of this steadfast judge. And key here in this story is this widow's persistence, her persistent pursuit is offered as a model of faith and prayer. So if we only had, say, verses 2 to 5 uh, in this story or even 2 through to eight, the first half of verse 8, we might think we have a pretty good sense of how to understand this parable. But unlike the last two weeks, I think, in which Jesus' extra comments kind of helped us iron out some of the challenges of the parables, here Jesus' extra comments kind of feel like they complicate things. But in our uh, biblical theology and interpretation class, Andy and I are always banging on about the word context, 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 context. The whole course is basically about context, different kinds of context. So we have to take context seriously 
in this passage, as in all. In verse 1 it says, Jesus told his disciples this parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And in verse 8b he adds, However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So the parable encourages persistence through the assurance that God will deliver justice. But but more specifically, it encourages persistence in prayer and in faith until the time that Jesus returns because then when Jesus returns, it seems to say, then he will do justice. But this introduction of the idea of the Son of Man um, maybe feels a bit uh, (laughs) far off from the justice in the parable and maybe feels a bit sort of random uh, to the kind of uh, earthiness of the parable. But if you have a look at the end of chapter 17, this is what it's all about. Chapter 17 in Luke is this rather tricky section on eschatology. Jesus and the Pharisees and the disciples are talking about the kingdom of God now and about the future coming of the Son of Man, about what it will be like, how you might know, can you tell, are there signs, and ultimately will you be ready? In verse 25, Jesus says, but before that time I must suffer much. He goes on to say, you won't know when Jesus will return, so you have to be ready. You've got to be ready for the coming of the Son of Man. Lest like the people in the days of Noah, you are caught unawares in your sin and destroyed. So the the kingdom of God is in your midst. There's a period of struggling, of hardship and difficulty, maybe persecution as followers of Jesus, in a world of brokenness and sin, until the time when Jesus returns. Jesus says you will long for the return of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. And this is why the disciples need encouragement to pray and not give up. Why we need encouragement to pray and not give up. The disciples who have seen Jesus' teaching, his miracles, his goodness, his healings and his power are starting to see now where also his path will lead him and where the path of discipleship might lead them. So the assurance here is that Jesus will return in judgment and in justice, that God will vindicate the righteous no matter what happens in the meantime, reveal truth, every deed will be known, assuredly he will do it. So remain faithful. But if this is the purpose of the parable as Jesus tells it to his disciples and if it refers primarily to God's justice at the end, What does it have to do with the stories of injustice that I told at the beginning of this sermon? Does it say anything to the pursuit of justice in the now? You can probably guess that I think it does, and I'm going to tell you why. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Uh, First, I don't think this widow, of course, is a randomly chosen character. Just like the sheep. And the shepherds from last week, the woman and the coin, the father and the son, these are all deliberate deliberate choices and this widow in the story recalls important background. Old Testament uh, passages recognise widows along with the poor and the orphan and the foreigner as those who are vulnerable 
as those who are objects of God's special attention and as those to whom God's people must be generous. Exodus 22 says, God, hear this in light of our parable, God will certainly hear the cry of a widow who has been taken advantage of. Deuteronomy 27 says, Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. This judge in the story. (laughs) And in the prophets, providing widows with justice becomes almost a kind of shorthand statement for what it means to live covenant faithfulness. So the judge in this story is unrighteous. He's said to be unjust. And we know he's unjust because he doesn't give justice to a widow, right? That's that's one of his kind of key jobs. <laughs> so the righteous then, the ones who persevere in prayer and in faith, who remain faithful to God until he comes, are those who do justice and who live righteously as well. Kingdom now. And and this is what we see in Luke, of course, about the kingdom of God, both present and future. Belief in the coming, the future coming of Jesus doesn't make the now irrelevant. And any kind of eschatology, which does, really misrepresents what Luke's doing across his whole gospel. Jesus is not just coming in the future. He has already come, and in him God's reign has begun. And so the arrival of the kingdom in the person of Jesus uh, comes in these very concrete ways, including in interactions with widows and vulnerable women. The widow of Nain in Luke chapter 7 says, God has come to help his people. Uh, The woman who's bleeding in chapter 8 of Luke. Both of these women that Jesus uh, interacts with receive not just spiritual or emotional help or promises for the future or kind of sanctification of their characters that allow them to persevere. They receive physical healing and social and economic uh, improvements that come from that healing, right? We see this again in chapter 17 in the bit that I referred to before. Jesus talks about the coming of the Son of Man, but he also says the kingdom is in the midst. There's more to come, but it is among you even now. In Acts, as the story carries on, uh, the word of God spreads, the gospel goes out, the disciples are increasing. And what are the church also doing? They're feeding widows. (laughs) There's lots of widows. So perhaps this widow who doesn't give up her pursuit of justice shows us a little bit of what it really looks like to persevere in prayer for the coming of God's kingdom. I think it does mean to also pursue it now, that we see prayer and the pursuit of justice go hand in hand. Uh, Basil the Great wrote this about prayer. This one's here for you, Scott. Uh, We should not express our prayer merely in syllables, but the power of prayer should be expressed in the moral attitude of our soul and in the virtuous actions that extend throughout our life. This is how you pray continually, not by offering prayer in words, but by joining yourself to God through your whole way of life so that your life becomes one continuous and uninterrupted prayer. 
if you prefer the reformers, uh, this is from Calvin. Calvin said that one of the things that prayer does is it transforms us into the kind of people who do what we pray for. It sanctifies us. It shapes our character. And when we pray, we become people who desire to live the kingdom. Prayer and action go hand in hand. And what we hope for in the future, we also live for now. So the parable encourages perseverance through uncertainty and struggle until the time that Jesus returns. Perseverance in faith, perseverance in prayer, perseverance in godliness, all of which includes perseverance in the pursuit of the kingdom now. Uh, Perhaps you have also seen this book or read this book. It's by a woman called Rachel Denholander, who's a Christian woman from the United States. Uh, And as a young woman, she was a gymnast and a member of the United States uh, kind of Olympic training gymnastics team. She, uh, along with scores of other young women from that gymnastics team, was sexually abused by the coach, Larry Nasser. Rachel was the first woman to come forward to speak publicly about Nasser's abuse of her and others. And as she did so, she made it possible for others to do so too. At the trial, at his trial, somewhere between 150 and 200 women gave evidence against the abuse. All of them almost really because of what Rachel had done initially and gathered them. 150 to 200 women. As she came forward to speak publicly 16 years after what had happened to her, in that time, many women had tried to come forward but had been silenced. Uh, she was a lawyer, so she kind of knew the system. She was a Christian, and she believed that what she was doing was right and just. She had an ability and a strength to do what she did, and she knew what it would take to see it through, even though it's been awful for her. Because she knows that in this work, God is on her side. Uh, in 2018, Larry Nasser, the coach, was given a life sentence in prison, a sentence of 100 years at least, so he's never getting out of prison. The gymnasts now have another lawsuit against the FBI for the mishandling of their case. It's an incredible story of courage. And if you want to read like one of the most amazing pieces of theology, you've ever read, read her statement from this trial. Uh, It's an amazing story about what the faith of one woman can do. Shortly after this, though, Rachel and her family left their church because of concerns about the mishandling of sexual abuse in the church in Sovereign Grace Ministries and Southern Baptist Convention. She's still waiting, along with many others, to see justice in the church. A couple of weeks ago, uh, the news broke that the US Department of Justice was investigating the Southern Baptist Convention about mishandling of sexual abuse allegations. And uh, she tweeted this. She's always on Twitter. If you want to follow her, it's good value. She tweeted this. 
For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, from Matthew chapter 10, or hidden that will not be known. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul, both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your head. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And she went on to say, God sees. And if a sparrow cannot fall without his notice, we can be sure he has seen how his image bearers are treated. We should never fear anything but his justice. Our allegiance is never to be anything but him. And at times that will include standing up to those who are against God's truth and justice, even in our own communities. But when we participate, she said, in bringing darkness into light, we are partaking in his work. When the Son of Man comes, God will assuredly grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night. Persevere in prayer and in faith through challenge and temptation and suffering and be ready when the Son of Man returns. But God is amongst us today too and his light, his truth, his goodness and his justice are our kingdom work alongside our prayers. Persevere in prayer and in faithful work for the kingdom of God now, for it is already in our midst. So we say, come, Lord Jesus.